Morning Glory and Evening Grace America. It's that time of the week, the time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Once a week, I sit down with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, or one of his colleagues, or both, and we talk about one of the great works of Western civilization. We begin in the beginning of the year with the Iliad, and today we are up to 160 A.D., so we've come many, many hundreds of years into the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. But before I go there, Dr. Arn, how are you? Well, how are you, Hugh? I'm terrific. I have to I have to say you've gone and plucked Matt Spaulding from Heritage and carried him away to Michigan. Light work. Yeah, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you have one of the capital's greatest constitutional scholars plucked out of the center of the fray and taken off to this obscure state, which is really barely even a state? It exists only by the... It, it's a sort of a boon, a grant to the poor people of Canada not have to deal with Michigan. Why would you do that to Matt Spaulding? Well, about Michigan, I'll say that we really only have one simple task, and we do it always, and we do it easily. We dominate Ohio. <laughs> but, but Matt's going to stay in Washington. He's going to run our academic programs at our Kirby Center, and we're doing more teaching there, and we're going to do a lot more. And we're going to give a liberal education, including in the founding of America, to people in that city where it is nearly absent, and Mac, Matt is a great guy to lead that effort. Oh, that is a terrific idea. I did not see that. So though you are plucking him into the Hillsdale family, you allow him to continue his very important work inside of the Beltway. Yeah, and you know, he's been in Washington a long time. He may be too ignorant to actually move back to Hillsdale. <laughs> <laughs> Live among the trees. Right, my second non-Marcus Aurelius question has to do with the movie, which I doubt very much that you have seen, Steve Jobs, as played by Ashton Kutchner. Have you seen this movie? I have not. Well, he comes off, and again, this is just a, I have not read the Walter Isaacson biography of, of Jobs, and so I don't know whether it is an accurate portrayal, but if it is, Jobs was an angry, bitter, selfish, backbiting, backstabbing, terrible human being and repulsive, though, of course, a design genius and, and responsible for two of the devices sitting in front of me. And so, uh, obviously, a flawed but somewhat genius man. But as I was driving home from this with my son, I said, you know, I've been covering Plutarch with Larry Arnn, and it occurs to me that Plutarch found no time for men of business or engineers or artists in his lives. Why was that? Well, um, because those things are mechanical. And uh, Plutarch was interested in people who dealt with the higher things, including the highest. And the highest is uh, not politics. It's uh, what Cicero dealt with. Uh, politics as they emerge into philosophy, uh, the ultimate end for which we live our lives. And politics is concerned with that. Politics has a duty to protect our connection to those things. And so... Uh, I want to say something about Steve Jobs, because I'm an Apple guy, and fancy I know a fair amount about him. And I think he, first of all, I think he was a very worthy human being, especially toward the end of his life. Did you know he banned pornography from the App Store? He did it himself personally. I did not. And he once answered an email. He would make these little emails once in a while to customers, and they would make national news when he did it. And uh, somebody said, Apple is for freedom. Do whatever you want. Why are you doing that? And Jobs replied, if you had children, you would understand. And so, and, and this, you know, the rough edges on the man were very great, and he was abusive of people often. On the other hand, that changed over time, and he became much less so. And 
the people working with him, it became like a band of brothers, and they still remember him with great respect, and he was not abusive to them. He was an incredibly insistent man and very insightful, but he stopped being such an abusive man, I believe, and one of the criticisms of this movie is that they don't show that. No, they don't. It, it ends off, it leaves off in 2002. But it, it, what called to mind in the third uh, book of the 12 books of Marcus Aurelius, about which more, uh, the, the, the emperor writes, Never value anything as profitable to thyself, which shall compel thee to break thy promise, to lose thy self-respect, to hate any man, to suspect, to curse, to act the hypocrite, to desire anything which needs walls and curtains, for he who has preferred to everything intelligence and the worship of its excellence acts no tragic part, does not groan, will not need either solitude nor much company, and and it, it continues in that vein, very inconsistent with at least his early days. Yeah, that's right. And he, you know, he, uh, first of all, this book that we're about to read is different in kind, I think, than any book that we will read. I can't think of another. And and the reason is a very great reason. And that is this book should be your friend and companion for life from the first moment you begin reading it. It's a it's a, a very unusual book. There I don't know anything else like it as I say. And it is immediately available. You should be able to benefit from this book in the first five minutes you attend to it. That is true, and and it's also, uh, it's written in an extraordinarily accessible fashion. Unlike some of the books that we have worked our ways through, you could you can go to any of the twelve books and dive right in. I want to go to the first one, but but first, tell people a little bit about Marcus Aurelius. Well, uh, Marcus Aurelius was the last of the five good emperors, and you know, emperors come because beginning with Julius Caesar, but also on the way to there because of Sulla, the tyrant and conqueror. Uh, Rome had been this republic, this balanced regime in which the Senate and the people of Rome were one thing, and they were an organism, and they each had their powers, and they played against each other. And what happened was various strong men, especially Julius Caesar and later Augustus, conquered and broke everybody. And they did that by the artful and subtle device of killing tens of thousands of people with soldiers. And Rome was never the same after that. Some people think, well, Rome was corrupted by its its luxury and stuff like that. The truth is, the conquerors killed a lot of people, including Cicero, whom we read last week. Well, after that, Rome was different. And the good emperors were five people who came along in order, one after the other, and what they did was, they were the, they were the boss now, and what they said went, but they treated the Senate with great respect, and they attempted to rule moderately. And that chain breaks with, with uh, Marcus Aurelius, who was the, uh, a very great man, uh, but, uh, by his son Commodus, and see, one of the things that happens among these five good emperors is that two, or I may be forgetting, maybe there were three, who were actually not the eldest son of the emperor and didn't succeed that way. They were adopted by the emperor in part because they had demonstrated some excellence. And Marcus Aurelius was one of those. Commodus, who followed him, 
was his eldest son and proved to be a frightful man. And, uh, in fact, in that movie Gladiator, which is a very good movie, although <laughs> not true, uh, but partly true, um, Commodus actually murders his father yes. to get the job, and that didn't happen. But, uh, but Marcus Aurelius is that guy, and Rome is at its peak of extent, and he rules for, what, 20 years? I yeah, think? 19 years. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in that 20 years, he was, uh, R- Rome was very rich, and it was very powerful, and it didn't really grow under him, but it kept what it had, which was nearly everything, and it was coming under financial stress because they were subsidizing people so much, kind of a familiar story today. And they had those guys who would eventually destroy Western Rome, uh, the, 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 the Germans. Up, and, you know, Germany is this bunch of forests and hills, and it's very tough. And, and of his 19 years, Marcus Aurelius spent 13 of them in border wars up by Germany. So he was a good ruler, and he was a very successful ruler, and his rule was constantly troubled and often miserable. And he, at the t- at the same time that he did this long period of war, he would take out his pen. And th- the Meditations was not, I think it was not written for public consumption, correct? Uh, well, th- th- that's the thing. You should, you should understand what you're reading, because as I say, I don't know anything like it. It isn't a diary. It is written privately to Marcus Aurelius himself. But it's not... Dear Diary, here's how I feel today, and here's what happened today. It isn't that. What it is is a reminder to himself that often has the tone of commands to himself about the way things are and how he should behave. And they have the tone constantly uh, of sometimes they're beautiful reflections on the nature of things, but most uh, continuously, very often through them, what they are is statements to himself. You must behave this way and not be miserable. Do you teach this at Hillsdale? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When we come back, we'll find out when and to what effect. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. It is the weekly Hillsdale Dialogue. The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius is the book of the week. Uh, it's available absolutely for free, by the way, on the Internet. You can just go look it up. It's on. It's not that long. And it's, uh, I think Dr. Arn says he carries it with him. I'll confirm that when we return to The Hugh Hewitt Show. minutes after the hour, American Chew Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn in our weekly Hillsdale Dialogue talking today about the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And if you wish to look that up on the web, it's M-A-R-C-U-S Aurelius, A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S. Written around 167 A.D. Uh, during the middle of his reign as Roman Emperor of 160 to, 161 to 180, uh, as uh, Dr. Arn just said, in constant combat with the Germans after he defeated the Persians up on the German border. So, Doctor, when do you teach it, and how do you teach it at Hillsdale? Well, it's in our history reader in the freshman core, uh, and we, we were changing our core right now. We're making it bigger, and so not everybody will be taking this class in the freshman year. Right now, almost all do, but it tends to be freshman, sophomore year, and it's in a book of readings that's published, uh, edited and published by the college, done by our history department. And we do an extract from the book. And, and, and which do you recall 
Of the 12 books of the meditations, do you most heavily rely on, or do you dance about and grab this and that? Let me see if I can tell. We do it in a way so I can tell what books it's from. Uh, It's hard to say. It looks like it's scattered about. Well, then let let me begin at the beginning with just a few, uh, sort of a touch. He opens with a long list of gratitudes, a long list of thank yous. From my grandfather, Varus, I learned good morals and the government of my temper. From the reputation and remembrance of my father, modesty and a manly character. From my mother, piety and beneficence and abstinence, not only from evil deeds, but even from evil thoughts and further simplicity in my way of living, far removed from the habits of the rich. And it continues on for a dozen paragraphs in this vein. That's, and, and think of that for a minute. It's like everything else. First of all, this is a man who had teachers and they were wise and he is grateful to them. And this is a man who, in his youth, is adopted by Emperor Antoninus and marked out to be first, second, and then first in the line of succession. And, and you know, when he, was, when he succeeded, he immediately appointed another relation to be his co-emperor. And that relation died pretty soon. But he was, uh, he, he, he was preparing himself to exercise the greatest power in the world. And his teachers taught him that there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that, and it doesn't matter what you prefer with your power, you must use it well. I also noted in reading up on his biography, he had many children who died. Uh, and, And he refers to this early on in the meditations as being something he could not affect so he chose not to allow it to affect him. That seems hard to imagine. Yeah, and, and there were so many things in his life like that. He, uh, he developed a way of looking at the world that meant that his own death was palatable to him and that he much, must approach life as a man in tune with nature and reason. And so it's not that it didn't affect him, this book is evidence that things affected him powerfully. The book is written so that he may manage the effects properly. Now, at one point he writes about his religious belief. To the gods I'm indebted for having good grandfathers, good parents, a good sister, good teachers, good associates, good kinsmen and friends, nearly everything good. Further, I owe it to the gods that I was not hurried into any offense against any of them, though I had a disposition which, if opportunity had offered, might have led me to do something of this kind. That's an unusual way to write about the forces above and beyond you. That's, uh, and, and, and it's, if, you, if you parse it out, it's a statement of humility, gratitude, and obligation. You see, in other words, he, he's been placed in this place it's a station, and it's a station full of trouble. And doubtless, when he first became the emperor, and, and it, it was thrilling to him, he had to combat that thrill. He, he writes this, this book, you know, we, and there's a lot about this we don't know, by the way. We call it The Meditations, but it, uh, he didn't give it a title. Why would he? He's writing it to himself. It, the, the way in which the book comes to us is odd, because there were nine centuries that passed after his death until it emerged. And it emerges in a letter from a Christian 
saint to another friend. And the way he composes the letter, conveying the book, gives one the impression that people know about this book and people regard it as a great good. But that means it had been circulating for a while. Hmm. But the earliest evidence we have of it is, you know, eight or nine centuries after Marcus dies. It survived all that time. And, uh, and, that's, and these are his notes to himself, right? He had no plan that we know of to do anything with it. And it's not written. It's written as you would think it was written. Do you, do you ever, I mean, uh, I say to you and the listener, do you write down things or isolate things that you think are good for you that you read regularly? I can answer yes to that uh, uh, because I write books and I try and put into them those things which most remarkably strike me. Jefferson kept a day book in which he did this repeatedly. I think many people have that practice. I'm not, I think Churchill had that practice too, did he not? Oh, yeah, and he had this fantastic memory. Here, here's a story about Churchill you'll like. In ni- and, and this is extremely revealing to me. In 1940... Churchill did, you know, London's being bombed, he's giving these speeches, people are trying to, people in power are trying to force Britain, in Britain, are trying to force Britain into a negotiated peace. It's a time of incredible turmoil, and and there are reports of Churchill's magnificent bravery and equanimity. Well then, he says to John Colville, who worked for him one time, he says, uh, there's a prayer in the writings of George Borrow that was said at the Siege of Gibraltar, which is about the time of the American Revolution. He said, go find that for me. I want it verbatim. And Churchill had a wonderful memory. Here's the prayer. I've memorized it. He says, uh, fear not the result, for either thy end will be an enviable and magnificent one, else God will preserve our reign upon the waters. Now, Winston Churchill wanted those words to carry around with him all day. You see? And that means he was afraid. Yeah. And he had a way to confront that fear. And that way is the same as this way in Marcus Aurelius. Now, in chapter book two, it begins. By the way, do you carry this book with you? Am I right about you telling me that? Yeah, I used to get back before the, the e-books. I used to keep I had a little copy of it and I took it with me in my briefcase customarily. And now I have it on my Kindle. And I, well, it's a, I use the Kindle reader, but I use an iPad, Steve well, Jobs. I, I, I think this first line of book two is especially appropriate for a college president. Begin the morning by saying to thyself, I shall meet with the busybody, the ungrateful, arrogant, deceitful, envious, unsocial. All these things happen to them by reason of their ignorance of what is good and evil. <laughs> well, you know, I have a better life than that. And, uh, but that's good thing to remember. It's a good thing. I'll be right back. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. We're talking about the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And uh, you can get all of the Hillsdale Dialogues at HughForHillsdale.com. The link is at HughHewitt.com or just go directly to Hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. Thirty-four minutes after the hour, American Two here with Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College. 
If you are not yet signed up to receive the uh, Hillsdale Monthly Speech Digest in Primus, you can do so for free, absolutely for free. And it's got a mailing list of, what, a million and a half people, Larry Arne? 2.7. Okay, I was only off by 1.2 million. 2.7 million people are getting in Primus every single month. And you can, too, for free by going to hillsdale.edu. And all of the Hillsdale Dialogues, every single one of them, are available for free as well, hughforhillsdale.com, uh, or there's a link at uh, hughhewitt.com. If you're a homeschooling uh, mom or dad, it is a great way to introduce your, your children, junior high and high school, to these great works and then to dive into them. All right, uh, uh, Larry Arn, he was a Stoic. Would you explain to people what Stoicism is? Uh, well, uh, first of all, it's a little controversial whether he was a Stoic, but uh, Stoic comes from the stoicism comes from uh it's a word for porch and the first stoic philosopher sat on porches and they are a development you might say on socratic or platonic philosophy they come to see the world as reasonable as a nature that makes sense and they try to fit themselves in that nature and they think that uh this the reason in nature in which one can participate it's uh, connected to the idea of the natural law, that, that this reason and conforming to it is the human capacity and the human work. And so living well means living in accordance with nature. And you will die, and that's part of your life, and the right disposition to that and all pains, as well as pleasures in it, is governed by this nature and your reason and not by your wishes. And, and so it's a, you know, we think of stoicism as, you know, we have the modern word stoic, and that means somebody who's pretty tough and pretty quiet about it. And uh, their enemies, their, their oppo- main opponents in the world were the Epicureans, who thought life is pretty random, and the pleasures that we have in it are natural to us, and we should focus on those. It doesn't mean living like a cyberite, just eating chocolates and taking drugs all day. But it does mean that our purpose is to enjoy our higher pleasures. And the Stoics read it a little different. Our higher pleasures must be connected with living rightly under nature, even if that's painful. So why do you say it is controversial that uh, Marcus Aurelius is a Stoic? Well, he read the Stoics, and he was connected to some of them. But what we have from him is these meditations, and they're not exactly a tract of Stoicism. They are, they are much more, as I say, self-commands, and they are very noble and very beautiful. And, you know, I'll read you one of my favorites if you want me to. Please. Uh, at 312, and, and what their chapters, I think there are eight chapters, and, and they're in, the chapters are divided into little sections. So in chapter 3, section 12, he says... Uh, this is like a good thing to read to yourself when you get up for a day and you've got a difficult day. And I, I, I'll say something about that. If you lead a really, really busy life, you know, the curse of my life is that I have too many good things to do. And I never, I, I don't have enough time not to be doing them. And that, that shows something that's a failure in the human condition, right? I, I like to say I like all the parts of my job. They just compete with each other for time. Yep. So get up in the morning this way. If you do the job in a principled way, with diligence, energy, and patience, if you keep yourself free of distractions and keep the spirit inside you undamaged, 
as if you, the spirit inside you, as you, as if you might have to give it back at any moment. If you can embrace this without fear or expectation, can find fulfillment in what you're doing now, as nature intended, and in superhuman truthfulness, every word, every utterance, then your life will be happy. No one can prevent that. Now, that's a, that's a recurring theme to this man who's besieged all his life on the frontier, living rough most of the time, and an emperor of the greatest power in the history of the world. Yep. He is saying that you can be self-sufficient in your happiness, and he's reminding you of that. And when you read a thing like that, at least for me, it's bracing. It reminds me that I'm supposed to try to do a good job at each thing and take my satisfaction from that. And I, I enjoy it immensely. There's another place I'm looking for, it, but before I find it, I can tell you what it says. He says, people who go off on these vacations and say, if I could only get away, you can get away, he says, at any moment. You can get away within. A, vi- a vacation is always available to you. Huh. We'll come back from break. We'll continue that conversation. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is our book. It's the Hillsdale Dialogues. They're available at HughForHillsdale.com. Stay tuned. Every moment think steadily as a Roman and a man to do what thou hast in hand with perfect and simple dignity and feeling of affection and freedom and justice and give thyself relief from all other thoughts. Marcus Aurelius was one for focus, Larry R. And he really, oh. he really was very intent on focus. Very much. And, and he, 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 uh, one of the things that happens, because you have to think about his life, it's like your life, except more so, everyone's life. There are pressures all the time. Things are always going wrong. You have moments of joy. You have moments of fear. You have moments of, of affliction, right? And his way was to look up from those and locate himself so that those seemed small. And it's, it's really lovely how he does it. I, I just enjoy this book immensely. I have, from the first time I started reading it, I have a certain passage of it that are in my day planner, the one I use on a computer, and I see them every week or so. And it's just good for me to do it. Do you have any other, other ones that come to mind you want to put out there? Yeah, yeah. I've got to get my pages done right. It's radio. And what can in uh, this is? I think this is in four seventeen. Maybe it's two seventeen. I can't my, maneuver my book very well. Uh, what then? Uh, he says duration of things is momentary. Nature is changeable. Perception is dim. Condition of body decaying. Soul spinning around. Fortune unpredictable. Lasting fame uncertain. What then can guide us? Only philosophy, which means making sure that the power within stays safe and free from assault, superior to pleasure and pain. So he, he makes a list of all of the things that are terrible about human life. And, you know, an emperor 
is supposed to be exempt from those things, like lasting fame. Everybody the man meets treats him like a god. And he doesn't take that seriously, right? Yep. The power within. Sometimes he loves the expression, the god within, meaning, like we would say today, the divine spark within us. That has to be safe and free from assault. It is very reminiscent of Ecclesiastes. We did not read Ecclesiastes, but oh. vanity is vanity, all is vanity, saith the preacher. Th- there is so much similar to that in this. And of course, he would not have been, I shouldn't say it's certain, but it, uh, there is no reason to believe he would have been familiar with ancient Jewish texts. No, but, you know, Christianity was about, and so he makes one reference to it here. I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I sorry that. I can't remember the reference. It isn't important. But, but... You can see a way in which Christianity could arise from Stoicism, because Christianity, you know, what is Jesus's, what is Jesus's advice, right? It's very often, look up to God and don't worry about the things of this earth. They will take care of himself. I, I found it. It's, uh, it's in the chapter, book 11, third paragraph. What a soul that is which is ready, if at any moment it must be separated from the body and ready either to be extinguished or dispersed or continue to exist, but so that this readiness comes from a man's own judgment, not from mere obstinacy as with the Christians, but considerably and with dignity and in a way to persuade another without tragic show. I'm not sure what he means by that, but that was the reference to it. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think, see, see, the Christians are thought to be, at this time, stubborn to the Romans, (laughs) they're thought to be bigots and atheists because they won't accept the God. Yeah. And, and the, to, to, to people like him, and, and it hasn't become a crisis. You know, Christianity, this is in 170, and what, Constantine accepts Christianity in 330, roughly? Yeah, 325, I think, I think yeah. And, and uh, so it's a long way until Christianity becomes a prime subject. And, of course, there's a lot of persecution before Constantine accepts it. But it isn't a prime subject in, 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 with Marcus Aurelius, but there are things in it, as you rightly point out, that are, that are very like it, you know. And, and that, you know, we, we might read a little Boethius when we go next, and you'll see that Boethius is a kind of stoicism made otherworldly. I mean, it's very remarkable, uh, the constellations of philosophy. And so, uh, and so with a minute and a half left to our break here, how would you, how would you advise someone to go about the meditations? It's easy. That's the great thing about it. It doesn't matter what order you read it in, although you can read it through. It's just great. You should just start reading it. Start at the first if you want. It doesn't matter if you start somewhere else. Yeah, Mark the passages that you really like, and then if you read it enough, and I urge you to do so, you'll uh, start to remember them and they will be a comfort to you. Here, here is the last one I'll give you. Consider when thou art much vexed or grieved that man's life is only a moment, and after a short time, we are all laid out dead. <laughs> <laughs> so the Obama presidency is not that bad. Yeah. Death and life, success and failure, pain and pleasure, wealth and poverty, all these happen to good and bad alike, and they are neither noble nor shameful, and hence neither good nor bad. <laughs> but he does not. He does not tell you not to do your duty. That's the. You know, it's, it, that's the interesting tension, Larry Arn. You can be very fatalistic, but he is at no place a shirker of duty. 
Not, and, and also not fatalistic, really, you see, because the God within you is operating, and your being is, is made real and full when you act purely in accordance with that. And, and so to let your desires control you, even wild animals do that, and running humans and tyrants from Phalaris to Nero, in other words, a, this, uh, emperors that he repudiates. So it, 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 is, it, it is not just fatalistic, it is also sublime. The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. I do not know where we go next, America. I have to consult with Dr. Arn offline, but I will post it so that you can stay ahead of us. We're at 160 AD, and we could go in any number of directions, but I, I defer to the president of Hillsdale College. Dr. Arn, thank you. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are available at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. You can also go to HughHewitt.com, click on the button, which is in the top right-hand column corner, or go directly to Hillsdale.edu and not only enroll in Primus, but also enroll in their Constitution and American History courses. You can learn all that you really need to know from hillsdale.edu. I'll be right back to conclude this week's Hugh Hewitt Show.